maybe big things in life. Who you're going to marry? Perhaps you're already married and you're enjoying that particular relationship. But what about your career? Perhaps you're in a career and are wondering, do I continue it? Do I change? What do I start? And what about retirement? When can I end? And maybe the biggest question of all, what about God? How do I relate to God? How does he relate to me? Well, in our text this morning, coming from Luke chapter 10, we have an expert in the law who asks two questions. He wants to know about eternal life, and he wants to know, who is my neighbor? So let us listen to the word of God, starting again in chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But... He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus, in reply, said, A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we have an expert in the law. Some of you may know that I have legal training and I can really relate to these people. Um, And I'm sure that he was a person who had studied a long time. And he tried to understand what, at that point, the law was the Old Testament. What was it that was required of him? And so the Greek word for test, when it says in our NIV that it came to test Jesus, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's... Um, evil or that he's out to trick Jesus but rather it's probably a sincere question he was probably wondering because he had studied so hard and he still didn't understand and so he asked what must I do to inherit internal life now when I first read this I thought oh okay he wants to know how do you get to heaven but actually what the Greek is saying is that it's the life now It's an eternal life in the sense that it's a joyful life. It's a life filled with God's presence. It's a life that we can have right now. And so this man wants to know it. Now, 
if you ask the question, what do you do to inherit eternal life? It's simple. Just follow the law. That's what Jesus says. Do what is written in the law. But knowing the law and doing it often are two different things. All the man had to do was to try to live the law, but if you've ever read the Old Testament and it's got 600 and some odd different ways that you're supposed to behave, and sometimes they're in conflict. And how do you resolve them? Because if you're trying to follow the letter of the law, you can't. No one can. The law is there to teach us that we can't do it on our own. Only Jesus can do it. And only through his spirit within us can we hope to live what the law requires. So the man has a problem that we also probably have. That is, we may intellectually know what it is we're supposed to do, but sometimes it's a little hard to actually do it. You know, that's why we come to church every Sunday. At least that's why I come. Yes, I know the law. I know what God requires. My problem is, how does that work out in life? How does it happen in my daily walk? I can pray every day. That's good. But I also have family. I have friends. I have colleagues. I have people I interact with, maybe at the grocery store or at a department store. How do I interact with them? How do I demonstrate God's love to them? Because the law says not only to love God, but also to love the neighbor as ourselves. So the same way that we might care for ourselves and be concerned about our own interests, we're also supposed to take care and be concerned about how others might feel. Now, the man has a problem. He makes a couple of mistakes. His first mistake is to think, oh, I love God, so that's, that's taken care of. I only got to worry about the second one. But it's easy to be distracted. Even here in worship, sometimes you might be distracted. You might be thinking of things that you need to do this afternoon or perhaps something coming up next week. You might be thinking about the past week and feeling like, oh, you know, when Julie said we're confessing, maybe I should confess too. Excuse me, it's Julianne. (laughs) Um, But we get distracted. We try to concentrate, but we're human and, and our attention may wander a bit. So that's his first mistake, is to think that he can love his God with all his heart and all his soul and all his strength and all his mind. You can't really do that on your own. You need God's help. Now, the second mistake he makes is that he thinks that these two are separate, that loving God is separate from loving his neighbor. Because, you see, if you love God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your strength and all of your soul you automatically will love your neighbor. It just kind of flows out of you. But he thinks they're two different things. And then the third mistake he makes is he wants to narrowly define who is our neighbor. Now, if you stop and think, it's easy to love the people who we like. You know, it's easy to love our friends. It's easy to love, I happen to have a number of brothers and and brothers-in-law, and I can love most of them but there's you know one that I'm not quite sure of but I'm trying you know and that's what God asks for us is to try because being a neighbor isn't just the ones that we like it's those that we encounter it's the ones that we find 
on our daily walk. It's the ones that are there. And so to demonstrate what is a neighbor, Jesus tells a parable. And he sets it on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that road was notorious for being full of crime and robbers and it had a lot of twists and turns and places for people to hide and then, you know, um, suddenly surprise someone on the road. And so as the people were listening to this and they heard that this guy went down to uh, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and falls into the hands of robbers and ends up beaten and everything, they're thinking, well, the man obviously was a bit reckless and foolhardy. Um, People don't usually go on that road all by themselves. They need to seek safety in numbers. They usually travel in convoys or caravans. And so this man probably had no one to blame but himself. And that sometimes happens to those who are unfortunate. They have no one to blame but themselves. And so then these couple of folks come by, a priest and a Levite. And I can just imagine, they go on the other side, but they might be thinking, oh, the road is too dangerous for me to stop and, and help him, because if I stop and help him, the robbers might come back and beat me. Or he might, the man might actually be a decoy for the robbers, and so the robbers want me to stop, and they've you know, beaten up one of their own in order for me, to get me to stop. Or I've got to get to the temple and, and perform my service for the Lord. Or I've got to get home to see my family. Or maybe it's more objective. Someone should really help that man. If I'm going to serve at the temple, I can't get blood on my my clothes because after all, then it wouldn't be honoring God if I'm all bloody. Or I don't really know first aid. You know, I'm not really sure what to do. Yeah, the guy is beaten up, but I don't know what to do. And so the Jews who were listening probably expected Jesus to say next that it was a common Jewish man who goes down and helps. Because then the story would demonstrate how Jesus is concerned about the corruption in the religious leaders of his day. But that's not what he says. Instead, he says, the man was a Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan is somebody who was looked down on. He was not somebody who would be respectable. He was considered lower class or even outcast. He was somebody who you never really went near because they weren't part of your group. But the Samaritan loves the man sacrificially. He doesn't wait to be asked. He sees the man right in front of him and he goes and he does something for him. So our text says that he bandaged his wounds and poured oil and wine on them. Now wine was probably um, containing that if you've ever been around wine, it's a bit alcoholic and it contains an antiseptic. So it would have cleansed the wounds. But then he also, he also pours oil on it because oil would help soothe his pain. He's trying to pour oil on the troubled waters of this man's life. He's trying to have a calming effect as it spreads over him. Ben Franklin once wrote that he was at a large pond that he observed one day and it was very rough with the wind. And so he goes and he fetches a cruet of oil and he drops a little of it on the water. He says, I saw it spread itself 
with surprising swiftness upon the surface, but the effect of smoothing the waves was not produced, for I had applied it first on the leeward side of the pond where the waves were greatest. They were blowing against him, and so the oil did not spread. So he goes around the pond on the windward side, and there drops a little bit more oil. Not more than a teaspoon, he said, and it spread amazingly, and it extended itself gradually until it reached that whole side of the pond, making probably a quarter of the pond calm and smooth as glass. In ancient times, they would pour oil on the water to calm it deliberately because they wanted to pour stall, it being too rough. And if, you, if you're a scientist, you would know that very small quantities of oil can cover a surprisingly large amount of area because it spreads into just a couple of molecules thick. And the tension surface of the oil has a calming effect, similar to that which is perhaps on your skin. The skin holds all those things inside, and the water would hold, be held inside by the oil and has a calming effect. It's an attempt to calm a problematic solution. Soothe. We use it as a phrase to soothe or calm down someone, maybe even to try to settle a dispute or a disagreement. We try to pour oil onto troubled waters. There's an old song by Simon and Garfunkel back in 1970, which I remember, and it goes, When you're feeling weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. I'm on your side. Oh, when times get rough and friends just can't be found, like a bridge over troubled waters, I will lay me down. When you're down and out, when you're on the street, when evening falls so hard, I will comfort you. I'll take your part. When darkness comes and pain is all around, like a bridge over troubled waters, I will lay me down. What is God calling us to lay down? What are we called upon to spread the oil of a calming over troubled waters? Jesus follows this parable by saying, Which of these three do you think is a neighbor? And the expert in law replies, The one who showed mercy. And that's what we're called to do, to show mercy to others. Now, that doesn't mean running after every need that might present itself, but it does mean to be concerned about the ones who are right in front of us, both their social and their spiritual needs. Because, you see, his first question about earning eternal life and his second question about neighbor are linked because you don't earn eternal life. You receive it from Jesus Christ. And as you receive it, you are motivated to love your neighbor. Spurgeon said a long time ago, what the law demands of us, the gospel is able to produce in us. And so even though we can't fulfill all those 600 and some odd different parts of the law, we can believe in Jesus. We can rely on him to show us the ways. So how much are we willing to be a bridge over troubled waters? Stop and think about it. What troubled waters do you know about? What needs calming in your life? Is it yourself? Is it your friends? Is it somebody who you just happen to run into? Is it a friend? 
Is it a neighbor? Whomever it is, what is God calling you to? How is he calling you to pour out your oil? Because God pours his oil out on us, his anointing oil, so that we in turn can pour it out on others and anoint them. Now, anointing was something that was practiced in the ancient world. It was practiced for a number of reasons. Just about every king was anointed with oil as a symbol of asking for wisdom to be poured out upon that king. People who were sick were anointed with oil so that they might receive wholeness. People who were in troubled relationships or just unsure themselves could ask for anointing with oil. So this morning I've asked a couple of folks to join us. So we have stations at either side. So once you come forward for communion, if you would like, they are more than willing to pray for you, to pray for you and anoint you, or to anoint you, whatever it is you want. Don't feel that you're obligated to it. If you feel that it's not for you, just pass by. Not a problem. But it's there and it's offered because God pours his oil out on us. So may we receive that so that we can then pour his oil out on others. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for all that you have done. We give you thanks that you continue to anoint us, that you give us your mercy and your grace, that you pour your wisdom on us, and we'd ask you now that you would help us to listen and then to act. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.